Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be The Wolf. I am here with Erin Kunert, and we are talking about when you doubt yourself, leaning in anyway. And I know a lot of people out there struggle with that self-doubt and it's really hard sometimes to step through that fear, but she has done it over and over again. It is a big, huge, true be the wolf quality and that is why she's here. And so Erin, can you tell us, you are an international education professional and our listeners and viewers are probably going, what the hell is that? <laughs> so can you tell us exactly what that is and what you do? Sure. So I'm Erin Kunert. I am really excited to be here. Um, international education is really thinking about cultural exchange, talking about intercultural learning. Um, it's really focused on students. So um Kind of the traditional idea is that study abroad, international exchange. So, you know, when you have a student in college that goes abroad for a semester and sends their semester in London going to school um, and vice versa, students can come from London to here and go to school um, and learn about things that are different and challenging. That's what international education is. Awesome. And as I look, uh, for those of you listening, you won't be able to see this, but in the background, I can see what looks like all kinds of travel photos yes. and postcards and things like that. Oh, yeah. So, super cool, super cool. Now, you did not start out with the intention of ending up in international education. <laughs> no. And I think a lot of people have had a crazy path to finding the right path for them because honestly, the options that we are kind of told when we were young don't fit a lot of our personalities and our strengths and our weaknesses. So what did you, how did you start the journey into, you did the same thing most people do, right? You like, went to high school, then you went to college. Tell us a little bit about that part of your journey. So I I was really trying everything. I liked a lot of things. Um, I learned that it's kind of a, a humanities student thing. I was interested in a lot of things. I was trying to figure out how that translates into a job. Like, what what is that? 
Um, majors tend to kind of have prescribed jobs. So if you go to engineering school, you become an engineer. If you study history, you become a historian. I mean, I think I think my humanities people always try to figure out how to apply these things that we're learning to career skills and to a a real career. Um, and so I, you know, I tried um, different things. I tried journalism. I thought about teaching for a minute. Um, I, I eventually uh, landed in a German language program. Um, I found that I really, really enjoyed language. I, when I was in high school, I took German for four years and I tested into a higher level German class for college, which honestly was terrifying. Um, as a freshman to sit in with juniors and seniors in this higher level German class and be like, I, I don't belong here. This this can't be right. Like, I don't feel like, you know, this is me. But uh, over time, over the course of that semester, and honestly, I had a fantastic instructor. Um, I found that I I was I wasn't terrible and I I really enjoyed it. And I think that kind of sparked that um, that joy of not just language, but what language brings you and getting to know people and getting to know things that are new and exciting and maybe really different than than what you're used to and the value that that brings into into your life. One thing real quick that I just noticed, and this is such a pattern, so I'm going to set the pattern for everybody to sort of see your story, is you end up in this thing in this class that's you know, people that are a bunch older than you, they're much more experienced at college. And but you tested into it. And you said it was kind of scary. So here is this first thing where you're like doubting yourself, but you stuck with it. And you found out you weren't, you weren't so bad at it. But it's, you know, just setting that pattern of like, holy shit, this is scary. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to do it anyway. And that's a big, huge thing that's so important to create a really great life. Uh, So we started there. You got super interested in language and all that it opens up for you. And then, so that was in your undergrad. And then you went to grad school, yeah? I did. I did. I, uh, so I... I did kind of the the dance that I think language students do where we're like, okay, German language is not a job. So, you know, how do how do I use this? And I think teaching is kind of a, a natural avenue that, that people explore. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, I don't I don't know if if teaching forever is is my specific thing. Um, and so I started looking at translation and interpretation and I was like, well, that sounds cool. Um, and so I applied to some grad programs and I got accepted into a couple and lo and behold, I found myself in a German translation graduate program. And then I found out a few weeks in that most of my professors didn't feel like I should be doing that either, which is not a very fun thing to hear your first semester in a, grad, a graduate program. So um, what did they what did they tell <laughs> did they say specifically that like you're not good at this or yeah, they actually did. Oh <laughs> it, was, it, it killed me. It just killed me. 
Um, and, you know, in, in some ways they weren't necessarily wrong, but also I was there to learn. So it was, it was just kind of a, a rough thing, but, you know, I also kind of realized that as re- regardless of that translation was not really a long-term thing that would have brought me joy. So translation itself is uh, very much kind of a freelance industry. So you're receiving contracts, you like sit somewhere and do it. It's kind of like doing homework, right? <laughs> like you're doing research <laughs> and you're doing translation. And the thing that I loved about translation was not the translation itself. It was the classes where we talked about translation theory, where we talked about, you know, how translators make decisions about how to try and convey concepts in language that don't exist in others. And uh, you, you'll you'll see a theme here. I liked talking about it and, and looking at it more than I liked physically doing it. And so um, it, it really was not the right career path for me, how I was informed that it was not the right career path for me. Maybe it was not the most supportive experience I've ever had. <laughs> so when they told you that you're not very good at this, and you had to start to look for something different and pivot for to something else. Yeah, I did, and it, you know, it. it so I, I went back into more of a general German track in my grad program. And honestly, it was also a really hard experience. And I thought about some, you know, swapping to a different program, but then I'd kind of have to start over, you know, after a while you, you get about halfway through and you're like, well, I've already put much, this much effort and this much future money <laughs> into what I'm doing that it, it feels, I don't know. I, I, I'm a chronic non-quitter. <laughs> so, All right. you know, I I really had a lot of just desire to to not quit and to at least finish it out. Um at some point while I was exploring different options, someone mentioned international education to me and I went Okay, hold on before we get there. Go for it. Hold on because okay. one of the things that happens when you're in a career, and I can totally relate to this, when you're in a career or on a path that you know is not the right path for you, you unconsciously, whether you're aware of it or not, you are tracking for options. You are trying to figure out like, what is it that I'm gonna do? And I went to college the first time to be a chemical engineer. And I got one year and one quarter in and I knew I hated it. It was like, this is not what I want to do. And I kept going because at the time I was a non-quitter and I just thought it was what you were supposed to do. So you just keep going, you keep going. And I realized that I wanted to do photography. Like I could see pictures everywhere and it drove me crazy. I could not shut it off. So I was like, this is the path. This is the thing I need to do. But I was sitting there talking to somebody and they had one court, they had three months left and they were going to get their degree. So there's these moments in your life where somebody will say something and it pops something open that just changes everything. And so this guy I was talking to was going to quit. He was going to drop out. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You are totally crazy. You have three months to go. Just suck it up, buddy. And But after our conversation, he was like, no, this is what's right for me. And after our conversation, I was like, 
well, you can do that. And I was miserable. And I knew I didn't want to do what I was studying. So I, like the next day, went and very properly, officially dropped out. I finished all my courses. I dropped the worst class. And I made it so I could go back, you know, very, very dot the I's and cross the T's, made sure I could go back if I changed my mind. But it was because I was looking for something different, something better, that I was able to really hear and see the other opportunity that was being presented to me through this conversation. So what did the person that brought up your next move, what did, tell me a little bit about that conversation. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I wish that somebody had empowered me to quit back then because I don't, I don't think I was there yet. I don't think I, I quite, you know, had that that ability to to do that for myself but um oddly enough it was somebody um in a in a, just a, a different um discipline grad disciplinary graduate program within the same institution because i had been like well could i transfer could i could i is this like college major where i could just pick a different one like could i could i do right. that and the answer was no not really uh but you know, at that point, you know, when they're th- they're talking to me about my interests and why I was looking at that one. And I was like, well, so I, I have all this stuff and I feel like I need to finish grad school because I feel like a lot of the things that I'm interested in require me to have some sort of advanced degree anyway. And so, like, I, I feel like it's a good move for me to at least finish it. But I, I, I don't know how to do that and I don't know where to go. Um, and even within the discipline I was looking at, he was like, well, well, what within this do you want to do? And I was like, I don't even know. What are the options? <laughs> like, can someone just give me a, can I have a menu, please? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I need to know what I can do. And so they were like, well, I see you studied abroad. Have you thought about international education? And I was like, that's a job. What do I need for that? And they're like, well, not really anything specific. And, you know, I will say, I think that the field has, um, you know, it's it's a relatively young field in in terms of you know it's really it's really professionalized a lot and so um even higher education there's a lot of um, really cool like higher education leadership and higher education administration and so there's a lot of these these graduate programs that I think at you know years and years ago had I known number one that this is what I wanted to do and number two that those graduate programs existed I would have been like okay great cool check uh but that just that wasn't you know something either that I felt like was as obvious or available to me. And so um, I said, okay. And so I was like, well, this campus has a study abroad office. So let me go over there and see, you know, maybe they'll let me intern my, and so I, I talked to the director um, and I was like, hey, could, do people intern here? Can I just like hang out and see what this is about and see if I like this? And and he was like, yeah, sure. And so um, while I was finishing my final semester, I was an intern and I I kind of just floated around. I hung out in their front office and just kind of saw how things worked. And, you know, it, it did not take more than a couple of seconds for me to be like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Like people are, are pretty chill and they just get to hang out with students and talk to them about their hopes and dreams and their study abroad and all the cool things that they're going to do and see, and then we eat food. And I was like, this is, this is great. I really want, this is fun. Um, <laughs> so, 
um, I knew that I still wanted to finish my grad program because, you know, when you work in higher education, it is still a thing where they, they want you to have some additional. So it wasn't a bad thing that I, that I wound up finishing it. And at that point, it was almost slightly spiteful, right? Of like, I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of me not doing this anymore. I'm going to make them help me finish it. (laughs) And and it goes, and it still even goes to that pattern of you, you know, and we'll talk more about this, but that pattern of, hey, this is not the greatest thing, but I've, I'm choosing to lean in. I'm making that choice, even though, it's not and and sometimes it's not a good decision but you're right if you're going to work in higher education on any level you're going to need that masters so what are you going to do drop out start a different masters program when you can put your feet on the ground as you did and get that experience in the internship and starting to hone in your uh your what you're going to do and Honestly, I want to say this for the people listening, because you're lucky in that you actually really did figure out what you wanted to do in the time that it that you got through your educational system because uh, your educational system degrees, (laughs) steps, (laughs) those things, those things that some people are doing and other people are not. Um, But a lot of people do these degrees and they go, they get these jobs and they stay in these jobs that are horrible. And all you did was finish a degree in something that you didn't really love, 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 but you were able in that place to lean into something you did love. So you didn't force yourself to get a translation job and sit there doing all the boring aspects of something you didn't even like to do. So, um, okay. And then you graduated and <laughs> you're like, you spited them. You're like, I'm going to finish it and do this great career. It's so petty. <laughs> Sometimes that's but, what it know. takes to get you through. <laughs> yeah. What was your next job after that? What did you Oh gosh. Do so, that? um, so actually it's, it's kind of funny. So I, um, I finished my internship and I graduated. And at the time they like kind of sort of let me hang around for like a few odds and ends internship hours. But I was like, well, I I do live in a city that makes me pay rent to live here. So I took a a very exciting four month stint at a large retail store. Uh, And, you know, we we did our time. Um, And uh, about four, yeah, four months into that, um, the director had something that opened up that was a paid position full time and was like, would you like to do it? And I was like, yes, I would like to do it. Thank you very much. Um, and so I worked in their front office, kind of managing their like um, their reception and, um, you know, working with their student staff and just trying to, you know, keep some of those front facing operations together. Um one thing that's interesting in higher ed, and I know this is true in other fields, but I think higher ed um, is is very pronounced as well, um, but people move around a lot. And so there's a lot of, I feel like at least for me, I sometimes phrase it that I think 
pretty much my entire work experience has been through some level of type of transition. So it's so shit. You know, someone leaves and we have to figure out, okay, what what do we do now? Do we fill it? Do we change it? Do we do both? Um, and so uh, that really kind of helped me move forward in a lot of unexpected ways. Um, so our our office was big enough that we had a, a good amount of staff and we were fortunate to have a literal finance team that did all of the budgets for study abroad and uh, working in the accounts and all that fun math and money stuff and their financial specialist, their, their financial assistant position uh, was vacated. And they said, Hey, do you want to try, do you want to do this? And I was like, have, have you seen my, my resume? None of it says I do math. Like I have actively <laughs> avoided math for a very, very long time. <laughs> Because that was that was one of the very few things I was not interested in, um, but they were very kind of insistent that they felt like no, we think this is your detail oriented. We think you can do this, and we need somebody to do it. So we give it a shot. And I said, okay, sure. And so, um, so I learned you, about math. Yeah, what were you afraid of though? Because that's a big one. You're going. From humanities major, language, you're in, in like, you know, working with students, you're enjoying that, and yep. talking to students about hopes yep. and dreams, and then they're yes. like, here, do math. <laughs> I <laughs> so mean, I, what, yeah, tell me about the fears and the doubts gosh, that came I mean, up during that time. When you're, when you're working with budgets of tens and hundreds and millions of dollars, I mean, the big fear is that somehow you're going to lose the obscene amounts of money, right? Like, that's the like, what's the catastrophic worst case scenario I can possibly come up with in my brain for what could possibly happen here? Um, and so uh, that did not happen. That's not to say I didn't make mistakes. At times I did, but I, I did not bankrupt the institutions. So that's great. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, <laughs> you're a winner. Thank you. Now, I, you know, I think I, I learned that it was not maybe my favorite thing in the world, but I think you know, spending the time just kind of figuring it out and going, oh, Excel can do that math for me and I can build budgets. And, you know, it's it's at least on that base level. It's like, OK, we either have money or we don't have money. It's either in the right spot or it's not. And so I was like, OK, this is kind of OK. But I think the the other thing that it did for me is, you know, sometimes I would meet with students and you know, they're all excited to talk about what food they're going to eat and where they're going to live and all the things they're going to see. They're not excited to talk about budgets. They're not excited to talk about how much programs cost. And they really just kind of avoid it. And so I felt like it was a really important thing for me to be able to sit down with them and have as I don't want to use the word comfortable because I think we were both like, yeah, this isn't our favorite thing to talk about. But just having kind of that real honest conversation about Let's talk about these numbers and where they come from and what they mean and how your financial aid package works and, you know, all of those kinds of things. Because I think to be an effective advisor, you have to be able to talk about the things that are hard because those are the things that they need the advice on and, and the things that they really need help with. In addition to all the things that are fun, but but really, um, you know, that that's what an advisor is supposed to do. Well, and I think that kind of translates into life very clearly when there's something you're avoiding. If it's if you find that you because you said you actively avoided math. 
did. And, and so because of that, you probably are much better with your own money. You're probably much better, like, being able to at least know what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> but there's a thing when we tend to avoid something or something seems really scary, it's almost always the best time to lean in. Because when you can step through that fear and you try it, and especially if you have at least moderate success, you are building your self-esteem. And when you show yourself time and time again that you can do things that are hard, do things that are out of your comfort zone, it allows you to be more adventurous and to actually create a happier life. That's one of the things that's so powerful about travel, as you know, is that it forces you out of your comfort zone. It gets you out of the familiar so you begin to start to bank on what skills and resources you really have within yourself. And doing that builds your self-esteem. I would completely agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so you did the math. And one of the things that I'm really struck by, the pandemic kind of put a wrench <laughs> pandemic put a wrench in everything for everybody um but what i mean study abroad students yeah. i mean students were not going back to school uh, what did you do during that time yeah so um at that point i had actually moved on to my next position so um after i was done doing math i wasn't done doing math but uh, but I took on a role overseeing a study abroad office at a small private liberal arts institution. And so I went from reporting to a director to basically being the director. And that was also, of course, scary. But um, I want to say I want to say I started there in 20 late 2015. And so I, I had I had a, a good amount of time under my belt and I felt like we were we were getting to a place we wanted to be and things were going well. And then the world was like, hold on a minute, we have a pandemic for you. And so I, I think along with everyone, we all just kind of, we all didn't know it was a big deal until it was a big deal. And I think, um, you know, our field kind of prides ourselves on, on thinking about risk and planning. And even we were like, yeah, this should be fine, right? Like everybody thought Zika was a big deal and then it, it wound up being okay. And, you know, try to, to work through some some prior experiences with um with global health related things. And so the pandemic was was so difficult for us. It was, you know, it it's heartbreaking to bring students home in the middle of a semester because when you study abroad for a semester, your first at least month or so is just just trying to figure it out and trying to get over homesickness and trying to adjust to to that new environment and it's really hard and so when you get a couple months in you're finally at that point where you're like okay I'm in a groove I'm in a routine things aren't so scary I'm doing okay and then it, you're, you're you're doing the things that you want to do and so then at that point tell them okay, sorry, this is over now is, is probably one of the, the most difficult things to, to have to tell them and to bring them home and to, 
you know, I, uh, I taught a, a reentry course. So I would, I would sit down with our return students and we'd talk through their experiences and how do you put that on your resume and how do you talk about it in a job interview? And usually we do it the semester after they would get back. And so I decided, okay, I know they're still finishing their classes remotely, but like, let's do this now. Like, let's talk through kind of these real feelings that they're having so that we can, you know, both process a little bit together, but also think about all of the things that are are really important as experiences for them and thinking about, wow, I, I survived this pandemic. I worked through this really awful experience and this is going to help me in difficult situations going forward. And so I think that was, that was really important. Um, what was some of the things that really, I mean, it's such a crazy thing. So what were some of the things that the students uh, came back with? Like what were some of the things that in that particular case, cause it's, you know, not just, you know, you go to a different country, all this crazy thing, but this global pandemic, different countries, different yeah. lockdowns, different travels, different. So what were some of the common themes that some of the kids struggled with? I mean, I, I think they struggled with, with quite a bit. I mean, they, of course, you know, had, some of them, a lot of them had been planning for their study abroad semester for years, some of them, even before college, they're like, I'm going to this college because I want to go on this study abroad program. And so I think knowing that they, they didn't get to have the full experience that they had worked really hard to plan for and to do for themselves. But to then, it's not like they came home and went back to their campus community and hung out with their friends. No, they went home home. And it was a whole different level of just isolation and you know, trying to figure out how to support each other and their families because their families are going through things. People are maybe getting sick. People are maybe having difficulty with jobs and managing um, maybe siblings that have to figure out remote learning and just the whole, the, the whole thing of, you know, not only do I not get the thing that I thought I was going to get, but this also is not what I signed up for at all. Right. So, you know, I think it was just, we, th- there were some sessions where we just, we all just kind of sat for a little bit and, you know, they cried. I cried. I was like, this is not my job. Like my job is hopes and dreams. It is not ending dreams. Like this is, this right. is not <laughs> what I want to do. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of grieved a little bit together, I think, because um, we just needed to. Yeah. I mean, it is such a big, I mean, it's huge lessons in expectations. And I think that's one of the big lessons that has come out of the pandemic for a lot of people, even just technology, right? We're so used to the technology snafus that people don't get upset by them as much anymore. It's uh, like, in some ways, we're almost allowed to make mistakes, which is a great thing compared to the perception of, I think, how it was before. But such that lesson in, you know, when you have an expectation, you have a strong expectation of how something's going to be, when it doesn't turn out that way, it can be a very, a big source of grief. And, you know, when you are better at pivoting and shifting and, 
trusting that those obstacles are going to give you somehow some resources that are going to be valuable down the line, that that's, you know, what we can hopefully lean into instead of like, oh, my hopes and dreams are shattered. Oh, how did this set me up to be uh, more powerful in creating my bigger hopes and dreams in the future? Uh, so when you moved from working for a director to this being the the one man show, one woman show <laughs> uh, for your small liberal arts college, was that? And what were some of the fears and things you had to face with that? Because now it's all on you. This is kind of like entrepreneur kind of stuff where it's like, here you go. Here's this big thing and you've got to do it all by yourself. So I'm sure that brought up some stuff. What did you struggle with? Thinking about just trying to lean on experience that I had. I, I think it it was something that I, I know I got hired. I know that somebody thought that I had the experience and the ability to do all the things um, and to shoulder all of the responsibility for everything that happened. But I mean, of course, there was fear that I was going to make mistakes and that, you know, um, I was going to let people down and worse, I was going to let students down and they were going to go and have a terrible, you know, something bad was going to happen to them because I forgot to do something or I didn't know to do something or you know, I, I feel like I could come up with doomsday scenarios all day long if I if I really wanted to. But um, how did you fight that? How did you fight the doomsday noise in your head? Gosh, you know, I I think I I had my my prior director, who um, honestly is one of my very good friends now, and I spent a lot of time where I would just send him a text and be like this thing is happening. That's not normal, right? Like, it shouldn't be this way. Am I right? And he'd be like, yeah, you're right. You're, it definitely should be. And I was like, okay, great. So I think I just, I tried to use my resources and my, you know, trusted colleagues to kind of check myself and be like, am I making the right decisions? Because that, that encouragement and that reinforcement was just, it was really helpful for me to, to feel more confident. And I think, Ultimately, I, I didn't need to check as often, um, yeah. you know, but I think it's it was one of those things where the institution had been doing study abroad for a long, long time. They'd been running uh, two sites for uh, 50 years. And so there was a lot of just nostalgia and investment and people uh, in the institution and alum and all kinds of people that just had a lot of feelings and really kind of struggled with with trying to to make some some changes and maybe you know bring in some some best practices that were important for the current time um and so a lot of it was just making sure that i had the the research and the data and the things to to back up what I was saying. So I wasn't just making decisions. I was saying, here's what I'm doing and here's why. And here's why I think it's going to work. And you know what? It might not work. And if it doesn't work, we'll we'll try something else or we'll tweak it and see if that helps. But we won't know if we don't at least try this thing. And so 
you know, uh, a lot of the time things tended to to go okay. And, you know, we, we would try something and we would go, oh, okay, that part of it wasn't great. We should, we should do that differently. Um, and the pandemic was a great example of a time where we couldn't do a lot of the things that we were used to doing. And so we had to find new ways to, to do things. And some of it, you know, as we got later on in the pandemic, we were like, okay, I kind of really liked, you know, getting, getting to do that that way. Um, and then there were other things where it was like, no, that was, that was kind of a bummer to, you know, not be able to do that in person. Let's, let's just not do that anymore. One thing I really want to point out, and it's, there's two things in here is I love that you leaned on your mentors in a way, right. In your resources and having that confidence and people might not say it's confidence, but the confidence to ask because a lot of people will not. A lot of people are like, well, I have to do it by myself. People entrusted me. So I have to figure it out all by myself. So I think it's really important always to lean on your resources, to utilize what's there. It's what's important about mentors. And also to ask people that have what you want. So it's like they have a successful program. So you're not asking somebody that works at McDonald's what you should do. And so many people are like, oh, what should I do? I'll just use love for an example because we're always giving each other love advice, right? So what, what do you think I should do? He said this and I don't know what it means if they did this and blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, you're most times you're asking somebody who has a terrible relationship or no relationship at all. So I love that you leaned into asking people who had the experience and the knowledge of what you were trying to accomplish. Now, one of the things before we, God, time goes by so quickly. Uh, one of the things that I really wanna touch on is you, you know, you redid your entire risk assessment plan in your thing. And you said to me, I'm gonna quote what you said. You said, um, just saying, no, you're scared is not good enough. And this is such a like, when you doubt yourself, lean in and such a be the wolf thing, just because you're scared, that's not good enough. And so, you know, there's, you had to, you figure out and push through some bigger stuff to make it still happen with this yeah. little bit of time. Can you wrap yeah, this? Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Sure, sure. So, um, so yeah, so I think um, every institution was completely different in terms of how we were thinking about restarting travel and what that meant. Um, and I will say, I think um, being at the institution where I was, I was really fortunate because a lot of like public institutions have policies that are dictated by like a university system or even their state, like they have a lot of different influences. And so I think they get tied maybe more to like state department levels and, and things that, um, you know, maybe, maybe other institutions might have a little bit more ability to, to, to think more critically about. And so that's kind of where I went with it. So I, uh, after, after we brought everybody home and I worked an obscene amount of hours to, try and support them and get them home and then help them through all the things. Um, our institution had a lot of challenges like everywhere where 
we were facing budget issues and um, staff were furloughed and laid off and it was terrifying. Um, and I was kind of low-key told that if programs didn't run in the fall, I may or may not get furloughed. And um, so I, I I don't want to say that I, that I tried to run programs because I was worried about my job. I think I wanted to be as responsible as possible, but I also wanted to have some some control in in that decision making and what we were thinking about. So um, I didn't wait for anybody to tell me to do it. I took it upon myself to say, I want to build a risk process to think about um, what conditions are like on site, not just, you know, State Department colors and numbers that don't maybe have a lot of context, but let's actually gather some some more full information and not just about COVID, because as it turns out, COVID is not the only risk that students face abroad or anywhere else, right? There's there's all kinds of other things. There's natural disasters. That you, there's all kinds of things. And so right. um, when I was asked for kind of a one-pager on uh, health and safety in sites, and I was like, okay, but what about this seven-page thing that I just built so that we can have a more holistic conversation about risk and our risk threshold? And they were like, oh, Okay, yeah, we should probably that that sounds better. So um, I was I was really lucky to get brought into the room to to kind of lead that and to say, you know, if if we're going to have parallel conversations about having students on our campus and taking all these measures and precautions, and if we can show that we can reasonably do those things in our sites abroad, and if our students knowing all the things about what we can and can't promise and what we can and can't control, if they're still willing to try, could we? (laughs) So um, eventually the answer was, yes, let's try it. And so we, uh, I I did get uh, about 17 students abroad in fall 20, which um, most places did not restart until at least spring or later. Um, And so I was, I was really proud of that. um, Because granted, a lot of credit goes to the, a lot of credit goes to those students because they, they took on something that was really scary too. But um, but I think it was just, it was really important to, again, not, not have that fear reaction be the thing that drives decisions, but to say, we made this decision and here's why. And there were some sites that we, we didn't approve for that term and we had reasons for it, but, um, I think it, it put us in a stronger position talking with our students, with our partners, with their parents and their families and, um, and, and making the decisions not from fear, is such a huge thing. And and people don't realize that most of the short-term crappy decisions they make in life are because they made out of some sort of fear. Oh, I didn't speak up because I was afraid they wouldn't like me or whatever it might be. I didn't take this opportunity because I was afraid of what I would lose. So all of those things, it's super commendable. Um, you started a really cool thing <laughs> right before the pandemic locked down. Do you want to tell us about that? Tell us how people can get in touch with you as well. And then I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. So um, I will say um, I have to give credit to my wonderful co-founder, uh, Dr. Jessica Mulhill. Um, we connected uh well before the pandemic, but one of the things that we were struggling with, we were both in kind of small offices, smaller campuses, and we 
we do have some um, like International Education Week is is a big initiative in the international community. Um, but for us, I feel like we always kind of struggle just with how it falls in the course of the year with trying to put on a week's worth of things and trying to navigate engagement while also trying to do pre-departure orientation for outgoing students and um, just some other priorities that we have, knowing we're not in an active you know, marketing phase at that point either. Um, and so I, for a while, had been like, I wish I could just have a day. I wish I, I could just have like a manageable chunk of time to be able to kind of stop everything else and and not just make this a marketing thing, not just make it a, you should study abroad and here's why, but to kind of dig a little bit deeper and think about the the real stories and the real challenges and the real kind of important pieces of study abroad, because a lot of it is just this, this beautiful Instagram collage of everything that's fun and wonderful and for, for those that maybe have had a study abroad experience, you know, it's definitely not all fun. Right. So, you know, I, I am very passionate about bringing out um, the things that were difficult because those are the things that promote growth and learning and development. And that's what makes study abroad amazing because you learn a lot about yourself and, and what your capabilities are. You're helping people become <laughs> the wolf. Right, right, exactly. And so um, study abroad day, um, my friend and I, we kind of just literally were like, what if we just like built like a, a generic site and just kind of put out some ideas of, you know, if somebody doesn't know what to do, they can break it out by how much time it takes to put that together so that, you know, they don't feel overwhelmed by trying to, to do a whole lot. Um, and so that, that gave birth to study abroad day. And we were honestly shocked at the level of engagement. And even, you know, through uh, the next couple in 21 and, and 22, um, the amount of campuses that have gotten on board. And, you know, I think it's it's also a nice opportunity to maybe uh, get some attention and, and some awareness maybe from, from some upper administration on campuses that, you know, might otherwise uh, not have the excuse to, to do so. So, yeah. Right. I love it. I love it. And it's February 23rd. Yes. So it's okay. always the last February oh. in last Monday in February. We we did that because we're like, if it rotates too much, we'll have it on weekends and, and we, we right. don't, we're not going to do that. Yeah. So, okay. The <laughs> last Monday in February, this yes. next year, it falls on February 23rd. Yeah. Okay. So before I tell people about my stuff, cause you know, I got to do that a little bit, but <laughs> if you were going to give your past self or somebody mm -hmm. else, some piece of advice about, you know, those doubting yourself moments, what would you Gosh. tell your past self or our audience? Yeah, I mean, I think just that idea of of doing it anyway, and you know, just not being afraid to to try it. Um, I think one of the things that I learned over time, I I leaned a lot on on my mentors, of course, but I also gradually kind of morphed that into my own style, and I am kind of known for being a little bit goofy sometimes and you know I, I tend to really enjoy that um and others are like mm, I'm not sure and that's fine uh, but I think just not being not not using fear to to stop yourself from doing things I think would would be a good takeaway 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, just like you said, it's like we're we're not going to have fear be the reason why we're not going to do this. And for those of you that are ready, looking to dive into more career empowerment and career fulfillment, I have a free career guide, Five Secrets to Switching to a Great Career. And you can find that at elevatefreegift.com. Um, if you're interested in that, take the moment now, unless you're driving, open up your browser and type in elevatefreegift.com and you can access that. Erin, thank you for thank you. sharing your story with us and for being so brave to doing it anyway, time and time again. <laughs> So I appreciate you and I know the students that are having amazing travel experiences, even though they're sometimes hard, are really appreciative for the work that you do. Well, thank you. I This is, this is so great and I, I've been really enjoying listening to other folks and I think this is just a, a really nice way to, to remind us all that we can, we can do hard things. It's okay. Totally. All right, everybody. We'll see you and talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.